to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, December 4th. Lots of information for all of you listeners as we begin to learn more and more details about what the 2021 ATP and WTA seasons are actually going to look like. Of course, it seems like we finally have a tentative start date for the 2021 Australian Open. Looks like that event is going to kick off on February 8th, and of course, there are so many ramifications from that decision to push the Australian Open back. So many different tournaments going to perhaps have to rearrange their spot on the tour schedules. We'll talk about that on today's shows, the information we have available to us thus far. Of course, we also learned that the WTA is unveiling a comprehensive rebrand as they look towards the future. We're going to talk a little bit about what that rebranding comprises of, the marketing campaign, the alignment of tournament tiers, etc. Uh, of course, and then we've just got a bunch of other things going on off the court storylines that will certainly impact what 2021 is going to look like. I, of course, mentioned this earlier in the week. I got the chance to be a, a part of, I think it was like a two-hour mega podcast, no challenges remaining, of course, our friend Ben Rothenberg's show. It was Ben, Reem Abulil, Tumaini Cariel, and myself uh, recapping a little bit of the 2020 season, talk about some of the things we are looking forward to in 2021. And of course, those are three of the best reporters in the business. And so just getting to sit on that call for the duration of it, be a part of that podcast. I feel like I soaked up some good information that I think you listeners are all going to enjoy. So those are going to be the things we talk about on today's show. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, and remember, go to Aerobar bar.com. Use that promo code cracked 30, 30% off from our friends at Aerobar to have a little bit of fun uh, for the holidays. That's their way of saying thank you for all of the support all of you have given them thus far. All I ask, continue to give them that support because again, we couldn't do it without them. And remember, look good, feel good, play good, Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets. All right, with that, let's talk a little Australian Open news because this is really the biggest storyline right now in this off season is when is uh, you know when are the big events going to start? When is the ATP schedule? There's a tentative schedule right now, but when are we going to be able to lock in what the beginning of the season is going to look like? And you know this is something Reem mentioned on the podcast. She speaks to tournament directors in Doha, in Dubai, tournament directors from all of those early season events, and they're all waiting on what the Australian Open does. And again, it's a tentative announcement. I made this point on the No Challenges Remaining podcast. I want to make it now for you listeners. Uh, Here's the difference in dealing with Australia than dealing with the French Open, dealing with the U.S. Open at the end of the year. Uh, As of yesterday, or maybe these were Thursday's numbers, I believe, in the United Kingdom, there were 16,000 COVID cases. In France, there were 14,000 COVID cases. In the United States, there were 200,000 COVID cases. In Australia, on Thursday, there were 11 COVID cases. So when, when the reason I bring that up, Australia has not been taking coronavirus lightly. One could argue they've been one of the most successful governments in responding to the coronavirus, and it's because they've been so proactive with their shutdowns, with, uh, again, the moment there's a flare-up, you know, ensuring everyone's wearing a mask, shutting down schools when test percentages, positive rates get above a certain percentage, and they've been very strict in their rules, and it's why they've been able to keep numbers lower compared to uh, 
uh, other parts of the world and per capita in their population compared to again so many other countries struggling with this virus and that is always that was always going to be the eternal struggle could tennis australia negotiate with the victorian province government of course this australian open happens in melbourne i believe that is part of the victorian province could they convince the australian government to allow these players to come in internationally to play this event because that's also been a part of the australian equation is they have not allowed international travel at certain points they've even shut down travel between i believe they call them states provinces whatever you want to call them within australia i think the western part of the state is seriously considering shutting down its borders to the rest of australia until at least midway through the 2021 season that's what you read if you you know start reading the sydney morning herald which i've realized i have to start doing if i want updates on the australian open and so uh, again, that was the big struggle. Craig Tiley, Tennis Australia, they are always willing to sell you a bag of goods, but were they going to be able to pull off uh, getting the accommodations that these players are demanding? And look, we talked about this on No Challenges Remaining. I'm, that's the last time I plug a non-Crack Rackets podcast on this show ever, but it was a very fun episode. I think all of you listeners will enjoy the point being, uh, you know, we talked about this in the opening 30 minutes. Tennis players are demanding. Uh, you know, for a lot of them, the idea, and for so many of these players for, who were Australian, we saw it with, I believe, Kasakina, we saw it with John Millman, they get back to Australia, they're two weeks quarantining in a hotel, you cannot leave that hotel to train, you cannot exercise, you cannot do anything until you are done with your quarantine, until you have tested negative, then you are allowed to be reintegrated back into an Australian society, and again, we don't have to get political, and I'm not going to comment on the merit of whether I think Australia has been more effective than what other places are doing, that's just the protocol again, that they live in. Uh, Again, I won't comment on that right now. It's erroneous to this part of the conversation. The point is tennis players were not willing to meet those accommodations. They are absolutely, they were like, under no circumstances are we going to sit in our hotel room for two weeks, then train for a week, then start the Australian Open. That's just unacceptable to them. If they want to travel there, they want to be able to train, acclimate themselves to the environment, and then go out, maybe play one warm-up event in the week leading up to Australian, play the Australian Open similar to the three-week stretch we saw in New York. And look, not only does that displace so many different other events scheduled for February, but uh, the the Australian government was going to have to make concessions. And we got some exceptional reporting from the Sydney Morning Herald. This comes from Sam McClure, who who can confirm the Australian Open set to begin on February 8th. I want to read some of the most prevalent passages from here. Players will be able to train during a 14-day quarantine. They are scheduled to get there. It says January 14th to the 15th is when they are uh, des- or when the Australian government would like them to arrive, but uh, players will be able to train during that 14-day quarantine, but only after testing negative to COVID-19 on the second day of isolation. They're going to be tested on five separate occasions while during that quarantine on days one, three, seven, ten, 10 and 14. Uh, During that time, again, they have to get there on January 15th, begin their two weeks quarantine. There would be a warm-up event, either ATP Cup or, you know, maybe uh, one of the Australian warm-up events, again, whatever it may be. And then the Australian Open would start February 8th. Again, according to this report from the Sydney Morning Herald, the Tennis Australia says it will pay for charter flights, player and entourage, quarantine costs, meals, and 
and accommodation. Uh, it also says Craig Tiley reporting the tournament plans on paying the full $71 million in prize money and are working with tours on redistribution with large increases to the early rounds and a likely first-round purse of $100,000. Again, there are a lot of updates still in the air, but this is what Tennis Australia is saying. This is what the Australian government needs from us. They need two weeks in quarantine during which, and again, uh, I learned from Reem that they would be allowed to have one person in that quarantine that they can train with, one other player that they're allowed to expose themselves to. And as you begin to test negative more and more often, you're going to be granted further and further privileges. Initially, I believe it's going to be five hours total out of your hotel room during the day to do the training, to do whatever it is you need to do. But then the rest of the time, you are going to have to be in your hotel room. Again, uh, according to Craig Tiley, why February 8th and not February 1st? A February 1 start date would have not allowed any matches and would have been unfair to players who may get infected during quarantine as it would have ruled them out of the Australian Open. Again, it says they will be out uh, allowed out a maximum of five hours, two on court, two hours in the gym, one hour to eat on site. All movement outside of the hotels would be limited to Melbourne Park and to Albert Reserve Tennis Center, and players would only, again, be allowed to take one coach with them when they train. So, we're starting to see a plan. We're starting to see the details looked out. And God knows, you know, for Tennis Australia, the moment things started shutting down in March, they, they've had nine months, ten months to put a plan in place to get their number, uh, to get prepared for this moment. And of course, the numbers for COVID, the situation in any given moment continues to change week in, week out, day in, day out. But you see the outlines of this plan coming together now. Again, there's a lot of details that still need have to be worked out. For instance, if you you're the number 86 player in the world and you learn that, hey, there's three challengers in North America in the month of January and then all the South American tournaments on the clay in February that were initially scheduled, they'll, they're still planning to go ahead. And, you know, you as a player, yeah, you go to the Australian Open, you could get that first round purse of $100,000 or you could maybe make semifinals of two of the challengers win, you know, go, let's say something like six and three or seven and three during the three uh, clay court events you play during that South American swing, but more importantly, you don't have to spend the time quarantined. You just have more freedom under that arrangement. Is that more beneficial to you? Does it make more sense for a player outside of the top 75 to play a bunch of events and opt out of, you know, losing a four-week block of time in their schedule to meet the Australian uh, government's uh, specifications? And Again, this is where tennis players are selfish. They think about themselves. They're going to want to do what's best for themselves. Unfortunately, there's just not the money, not the resources available that the tour can say, hey, we're going to play six straight weeks of tours uh, events in Australia. Then we're going to go six straight weeks in this country. Then we're going to go six weeks in this country, create these different bubbles and have the players playing within these bubbles along the way. The money's just not there. The tournaments, the tours, they can't afford to do that. They don't have the TV contracts of an NBA, of an NFL, the sponsorship deals that correspond with them, but this does make it seem like the Australian Open is going to be possible to be played and that it is going to be played. The question, of course, still, what does the field look like? Uh, again, those are the big takeaways thus far. There are still a couple of other things to go on. You know, there are inklings, there are rumors going around that qualifying, which has not yet been uh, approved, but that qualifying might happen uh, across the globe. There might be qualifying events uh, in Dubai, in LA, in, you know, just to 
again, different places to make it a little bit easier so we don't have to bring thousands of players to, uh, thousands of players, excuse me, hundreds of players to Australia that you can do regional uh, sectioned qualifying events. Uh, As of right now, there are two options. The second week of January, Dubai would be the top choice of site, while the other option is just to scrap qualities completely, just take the prize money and pay it to the prospective players who would have otherwise been in qualifying. They're also, and this is according to our friend at Parson Amati, there will be an Australian Open wildcard playoff, and in addition, the French Tennis Federation, the USTA, they will not have reciprocal wildcards to Australia this year. Uh, you would need a negative COVID test in Dubai prior to qualies, as well as after the event before you would be allowed to fly to Australia. Uh, so, you know, some of the other things, again, can you share a room? Yes, it's important to share a room. There are other little things. Can you have visitors? No visitors. Can my team leave the hotel? No, they may not. Can I play tournaments during during quarantine? No. If you're in your two-week stretch in Australia, you can't do anything until you're done with your quarantine. That's why it's February 8th. That's why they want players to arrive the 15th or the 16th so that they could have a Cincinnati Western and Southern style event before the Australian Open would get underway. Look, a lot's up in the air. There's no denying that. There's still plenty of facts still to be learned. If there's a spike in case, will t- were the Australian in cases, will the Australian government have a change of heart? Decide, you know what? It's really not necessary for us to host this tennis tournament. I know it's the Australian Open, one of our big draws. And sorry, Tennis Australia, we know this is going to screw you. And by the way, there are some preliminary reports out there right now uh, that Tennis Australia may lose up to $70, $80 million just to put on this Australian Open event. But look, it's one of the majors of the year. And a really fascinating point is as we approach, you know, March and April and May, there are going to be a ton of events that were canceled in 2020 that just cannot afford to be canceled again in 2021. The 250s, the 500s, the formerly WTA international events, which have been rebranded, and we'll get to that in a second, uh, they can't afford to close their gates for two years in a row because if they do, they'll go bankrupt. They'll go out of business. Some of these tournaments you can afford to miss one year, but missing two years in a row, it just becomes unsustainable to keep the operation going. You know, not every event is Indian Wells and has Larry Ellison backing it. Not every event has the TV contracts of the Grand Slams, as we've talked about on this podcast before. Uh, So it's a very precarious time in the professional tennis world. Both the ATP and WTA tours still have so many questions that need to be answered heading into the season. And of course, these are all things we will continue to discuss throughout this offseason. Of course, we do have a preliminary look at what the seasons are going to look like, at least from a scheduling standpoint, in both the ATP and WTA tours. We learned from Reuters today that the WTA is planning to start the 2021 season in the first week of January outside of Australia before players go to Melbourne. This is from CEO Steve Simon, who again told this to uh, Sudipto uh, Ganguly of Reuters. Uh, the report being they're looking right now to hopefully close to finally in, in the next week or so the ability to stage an event at January 4th to start the year. Normally, of course, both tours kick off action in Brisbane, in Shenzhen, in, Auth- in Auckland, uh, but that is unlikely to take place this year. But, you know, again, at 
these players would have to travel on January 15th, 16th is when they would need to get to Australia. So there is, I suppose, one, maybe two weeks open in that early portion of the season if you wanted to try and squeeze in an event. It's awfully precarious position. So many of these players just got done playing, it feels like, a week ago. And the fact that it is going to be a two-week quarantine that to adjust, uh, that they're going to have to adjust to heading into the Australian Open, maybe they really do want to milk the most of December and January as training blocks to really build up their stamina heading into what is certain to be a Wild West sort of year. But uh, interesting and encouraging to see that the WTA is trying to get creative. There's no doubt in my mind they have been the far more proactive side in using this as a moment to, you know, try new things in the women's game. And that's actually probably a perfect segue to talk about the WTA rebranding initiative we learned about uh, over these past couple of weeks, and I will say uh, I got an email from the WTA media team. They uh, told us that this was coming. They said you got to keep it on the on the down low for now, but we're going to send you some new gear, show you what the WTA is all about, and some exciting developments. Certainly, the WTA unveils its comprehensive rebrand, including a new logo, marketing campaign, and alignment of tournament tiers. Again, I uh, just want to read through the highlights here. This new logo from the WTA, the new brand image incorporates a dynamic reworking of the familiar letters W, T, and A with a tennis ball functioning at the crossbar of the A. That's a brilliant sentence, by the way. I hope you got the description there. W, T, A, you can see it, the tennis ball functioning as the crossbar of the A. So it goes, you know, it's right in the center there, almost as a dot instead of a crossbar. Hey, great shot by you, whoever wrote this press release. But, you know, to quote Mickey Lawler, the president of the WTA, head of marketing initiatives, the WTA is built on grit, passion and determination of generations of athletes and tournament promoters. Our new logo embraces the visual language of tennis ad celebrates of tennis ad celebrates heroic women who came together for the game. We will wear it as a badge of pride and a reminder of the power of unity among strong individuals. By joining forces, we build something bigger than ourselves. And of course, you heard it there. The marketing campaign, the brand new WTA for the game campaign, will be highlighted by several consumer touch points, including 30 to 60 second commercial spots, as well as influencer stories that will broadcast, published, that will be broadcast, excuse me, published and posted across WTA player tournament and affiliate channels to enhance brand. And synergy. Mm, there's a 21st. I bet my brother wrote that sentence. I wonder if BCG is working with the WTA right now because that is straight consultant speak to enhance brand synergy while building consistency for tennis fans. Tournament will act, have access to a range of marketing collateral with scope to feature a wide array of WTA athletes to meet their individual promotion needs. I mean, look. I, I don't have to read any further than that. I will say quickly, they're also revamping the tournament categories. Uh, you know, starting in 2021, both tours will share the same tournament tier and nomenclature system to create simplicity for fans and consumers. WTA events will now be categorized as WTA 1000s. Those are the former Premier Mandatory and Premier 5s. There will be WTA 500s, WTA 250s, which used to be called Internationals, and WTA 125s, which is the 125K series. Although the revised nomenclature is not tied to specific ranking points or prize monies. It is a categorical system to help define WTA tournament levels. And again, all of this is to say, I know that was a lot of details for you listeners. You can go read more about it uh, in the WTA press release. Of course, again, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, throughout this offseason. But 
it's just time to reimagine both of these uh both of these professional tennis leagues i mean for the wta certainly I, well i guess let's start with the atp because i think the one thing the atp has done really well these past 5 years they nailed it with the next gen branding at least in my opinion amongst tennis fans amongst tennis media the next gen cohort you know the guys you're referring to the zverevs the medvedevs the tsitsipasses the hatchinovs the choriches uh, the shapovalovs the demon hours it worked that was the next gen next brand next wave of men's professional tennis stars and i think the wta looking back they missed an opportunity I mean, look at the next-gen stars we have right now in the women's game. Obviously, this year, Sophia Kennan, Iga Sviantek, two pronounced examples. Of course, Naomi Osaka as well, Bianca Andreescu. You know, you can go on and on and on. How many times do we talk about how many talented young players there are? Obviously, from Coco McGough, Katie McNally, Ann Lees, to the Arena Sabalenkas and Diana Yastremskas, Marta Kostyuks of the world. They're across the globe. There are just so many talented young women right now. Of course, Ashley Barty. Uh, only 23, 24 years old. And so that's the women's next-gen cohort, yet they don't have that next-gen branding. They didn't have that campaign to launch the next generation of stars. And, of course, for the WCA, when you have a brand built around – I don't want to say it's built around Serena Williams. I should say when you have – Serena Williams is the LeBron James of women's tennis, of – probably women's athletics, period. She's a transcendent talent. People will watch her whatever she does, wherever she goes. And for the past 10 years in the women's games, that means for your biggest finals, more often than not, because they usually featured Serena Williams, you're going to get outstanding numbers. All of your tennis fans, all of your even just dip your toes in the water tennis fans want to watch Serena because she is one of sports' greatest champions, period. Men's, women's, regardless of sport. Uh, But the, the time for Serena Williams is obviously closer to ending than it is to the start by a lot. And so this WTA for the game, new slogan, new rebranding is just about modern day uh, branding, mar- modern day marketing. It's about making players more accessible. It's about offering different mediums of media, different mediums uh, of just, again, interaction with the players, whether it be seeing them on the practice court, hearing the things they're practicing, hearing what their struggles or what, you know, what they're doing when they're on the road, when they're not playing tennis, just being able to be more, I hate to use this marketing uh, or this uh, consultant term, but synchronized, more in synergy with everything going on from tournament to tournament, event to event. How many times do you have to download a different app for a different Grand Slam or a different 250, a different 500, that it's not all in one place, that it's always so difficult? Uh, That is part of what makes being a tennis fan so frustrating is that sometimes you feel like tennis is stuck in the 1970s, 1980s, certainly, and what this WTA uh, marketing campaign does is it just brings everything a step forward. And I just have no doubt that the WTA is going to execute this well. I mean, simply starting with the fact that if you're on tennis Twitter, you saw every WTA player tweet out something about the rebranding, something about WTA for the game, some sort of photo of them that's been uh, reintegrated with the new logo that the WTA created. And honestly, if I was the WTA, I would have had the Serena double fist pumps up in the air as my logo makes Serena Williams the Jerry West of the WTA, right? We all know that iconic Serena fist pump after something, of course, big happens in a match. But uh, I 
I just feel like that would have been a great logo. Anyways, not that their logo currently is bad, but it's just to say uh, I'm a huge fan, and I, I'm really looking forward because I know there's a lot of other special things planned as part of this WTA for the game campaign. Can't wait to see it all unfold, and I think tennis fans across the globe should be really excited for this as well. But of course, those are the two biggest off-the-court storylines, biggest off-the-court, I suppose, developments to happen over the past week. I just want to quickly look at some of the other things going on as well. I mentioned what's going on in the WTA. We also have that tentative look at the ATP schedule uh, thus far this year, and it's very, very tentative because, again, so much depends. What does the Australian Open do? Does it stay on point? Do some of these tournaments, these 250s, these 500s that are impacted, uh, of course, by uh, the change in the Australian Open, what are they uh, going to do with their tournament? Are they going to try and move around? But as of right now, the plan, uh, of course, some of the, uh, the, or I should say some of the tournaments affected by the Australian Open for right now. You look at just, you know, Cordoba, Montpellier, Pune, they're all off the schedule under this circumstance. Rotterdam, Buenos Aires, the New York Open, they all lose their spot. Rio de Janeiro, Delray, Marseille, Acapulco, Dubai, Santiago, all events that got to be played last year, uh, they would not be able probably to be played this year if the Australian Open goes ahead on February 8th. So again, there is a lot up in the air, of course, for the WTA, St. Petersburg, uh, Dubai, Doha, uh, same deal with Acapulco, uh, Joaquin, they would lose their dates. And, you know, again, we've talked about it uh, for those, and I can say it for both now, for the 250s, for the 500s, for the 150s at the WTA level, uh, they have to have events because they just can't afford to be canceled so much dependent on those gate receipts. Uh, but those are your tentative looks, again, at the schedule, everything else uh, going on right now in the professional tennis world. There's been uh, uh, some really good coverage of these storylines as well. If you want to hear more about the WTA re- rebranding, go check out our friend Brett McCormick's podcast. He did on the road ahead, or I believe, yeah, I believe it's called on the road ahead. SBJ unpacks uh, on this episode. WTA president Mickey Lawler joins Brett McCormick. I think that's something all of you listeners will enjoy. If you want to hear more about the rebranding, of course, for Brett, he also uh, has written about that, written about some of the other developments going on such as the fact that uh, there is a new head of diversity inclusion at the USTA, Marissa Grimes, coming over from MasterCard. It's an important hire for the USTA, of course, as the organization has made diversity and inclusion a central part of their platform. We all uh, can remember Naomi Osaka, the USTA, standing in solidarity with her uh, following the killing, tragic killing of George Floyd and just everything surrounding that event. Of course, she uh, elected not to play what was at the final match. I believe they ended up uh, pausing the tournament for the day in solidarity with her. Uh, so, uh, you know, obviously, again, this is just further indication that the USTA takes this very, very seriously. So this is a development I think all of us tennis fans can certainly enjoy. Another thing the USTA released recently, tennis. During this uh, tennis, apparently a big winner in terms of people participating in the sport over the past uh, nine months during this pandemic. According to the Physical Activity Council, participation in tennis has increased by 10.8 of 10.08 percent of the U.S. population playing tennis in the third quarter of 2020 versus a 6.75 percent increase in 2019. It's an increase of 49.33 percentage uh, overall. I mean, 
Look, do we have actual numbers? No. Uh, but I do think we can all say anecdotally going to the tennis courts of like they've been more filled than they normally are. And it's because the CDC has said tennis is one of those few sports you can play with relative safety compared to others. And so, uh, again, they're all very, very, very interesting, uh, all very uh, I don't. I don't know if encouraging is the right word. It's one thing to play tennis. Hopefully, people who are playing tennis then want to follow the sport. Uh, but certainly, I thought an interesting note. You listeners would enjoy some other things quickly here down the home stretch. Unfortunately, because of COVID, we learned the USDA has canceled the USDA National Winter Championships, which are scheduled to take place at the end of December, early uh, in early January as well. Of course, this is still uh, sort of counterproductive given that the Orange Bowl is scheduled to go, and I believe that starts this week, but you know, the USTA, you know, allowing the Orange Bowl to be played in Florida, not allowing the USTA National Winter Championships to be played. One would have hoped for ideological consistency, intellectual consistency. If you're going to say we are concerned about the pandemic, that's fine. Just apply to each and every one of these events. It's when things start to get wishy-washy that in this event it matters, this event it doesn't. And of course, context does matter. Nuance is important. But I would say probably canceling both events is the safer play. Evidently, uh, only the one event is going to be canceled. And that news, of course, again, coming from Colette Lewis. Perhaps it's simply that the Orange Bowl has has more money to pay uh, for accommodations, and the USTA uh, does not in this instance. But last few things down the home stretch: ATP awards for comeback player of the year, most improved player, newcomer, sportsmanship, humanitarian, fan favorite, coach of the year, coach award, media excellence award. All of the nominees have been announced. Sadly, I do not think I will be getting the media excellence award this year, but I'll keep working towards it towards 2021. But of course, uh, we will be doing our ATP and. WTA Awards show at some point this offseason, so be on the lookout for that. Of course, in the meantime, we will be focused on the ITA kickoff draft this weekend as we do our mock draft in preparation for the actual draft coming up next Monday. It's going to be Chris Halliores, Matt Stokoyak, and I recording actually tonight our mock draft. Hopefully, all of you listeners will be able to watch that this weekend, either on YouTube or, of course, hear it in podcast form as well. But we're bringing out all the stops. We're going on video. It's going to be really fun fun. We're going to have a couple of coaches joining us during it as well, so uh, be sure to check that out on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, and of course some news on the ITA front, the Women's National D1 Indoors moving to uh, Oklahoma State, uh, and then of course you know, I'll just save all this. Check out the draft show. We're going to talk about it there, uh, and I promise we are going to cover everything that has to do with the ITA kickoff weekend, but of course that's what's going on off the court right now in the professional tennis world. Still a couple of challengers this week to wrap up 2020. We'll talk about those on tomorrow's show. Uh, But if you have missed anything, from the professional tennis world, catch up on all of the action on our website, CrackRackets.com. You can find things such as our College Contender Series, our Next Gen 2.0 Series, Judson Wall's work, that and so much more. Again, all available on the website, CrackRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fleeter and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out of course as well to our friends at midwest sports and aerobar go to midwestsports.com use the promo code cr15 go to aerobar.com use the promo code cracked 30 and remember look good feel good play good midwest sports aerobar cracked rackets but 
With that in mind, for our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.